All right, we are going to start this morning with a, this is an old 1967 anti-smoking ad. And it's entitled, Like Father, Like Son. So, Gil, if you'll start us. It's pretty grainy. Car seats have changed. Um, pretty effective ad and it really makes the point that children learn by watching their parents and I love how the little boy when the father's driving the car the little boy's back there driving the car when the father picks up a stick and throws it the little boy picks up a stick and throws it and it just really brings home that point that as parents we're our children's primary teachers they really learn by watching us and I mean, I think that's a lesson we know just through common sense, but it's also a lesson that we learn from Scripture. And I want to look real quickly at this passage from Deuteronomy 6, and you should all have this in front of you. Very famous passage. And it begins, um, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words which I command you this day shall be upon your heart, and you shall teach them diligently to your children, and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise. And you shall bind them as a sign upon your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. And you shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates." And this is a word um, from the Lord to the people of Israel, but it's also a word to all of us. And I think it's one that has particular significance for us as parents. And I really just want to make three quick points from this passage. And the first is he's kind of giving us some instructions. The people, the he's given the people some instructions. What's the first instruction he gives? Yeah, that he gives. You see in this passage, love the Lord, but there's there's an instruction that comes before that. Pardon me? Oh, here? Here. Yeah, the first thing he says is hear. Some translations say listen. And um, we need to first, we need to hear the word. And I didn't grow up really in a household where I heard the word. Um, when Don and I got married, we both came from pretty similar backgrounds. Um, we got married real quickly out of college. A year later, we had our first child. Um, and we went to church just because that's what nice people did. Um, and then fast forward, we moved to Birmingham. We had four children. This was one Sunday morning. We were getting ready for, for church. I'm kind of in the dressing area trying to get dressed. 
I've got four children in various stages of dress around me. He's in kind of the bathroom shaving. And, you know, it's just, it's chaos. And um, I have one child who is peppering me with questions. And the first question is, Mom, was Jesus good? And I looked at my son and I said, yes, Jesus was good. Kind of pat myself on the back, you know, Sunday morning we're talking about Jesus. And then comes the second question. He says, well, Mom, do good people go to hell? And I said, a little less confidently, um, no, good people don't go to hell. And then, you know, get dressed, put your shoes on, tie your, you know, just keep going. And then, then came the third question. And I can tell Don's paying attention. He's shaving. He's paying attention. We're all kind of right there together. And then the third question was, well, Mom, if Jesus was good and good people don't go to hell, why did Jesus go to hell? I had no idea how to answer his question. My wonderful husband takes his foot, closes the door between us, leaves me totally, totally defenseless. And I looked at him. I made up an answer, and I said, who wants donuts for breakfast? (laughs) Let's distract and get out of the situation. But that was a real turning point for me because I realized that in order to answer my children's questions, I needed to know. I needed to hear the Word of God. And we really, we both started reading our Bibles um, in in a much more deep and real way. We got involved in a small group. And we really, even though we were always in church, we really began to really listen to the preaching and teaching that goes on at the Advent on Sunday mornings. And I will say we made a lot of mistakes as parents. But there are two things we did um, that I'm very grateful we did. Um, The first is we were in church every Sunday with our children. And I have to say that... That was not always easy. It wasn't always pretty, um, but we were here. And then the second thing we did is we all ate dinner as a family. And those two things were pretty foundational for our family. So um, take that for what it's worth. Okay, so the first instruction in this passage is that we need to hear. The second one is we need to love the Lord your God. And, um, you know, that is not just go sit in a corner and kind of conjure up a love for God. We love because he first loved us. And that really kind of takes us back to the hearing. We need to hear of God's love for us because that is what grows our love for him. And I'm going to read just this is a short passage from the introduction of a children's Bible. And I think it says something really well, and it says it very simply. Um, And I really think it... It also kind of dovetails nicely with what your children are learning in their confirmation class. And this is the passage. God wrote, I love you. He wrote it in the sky, on the earth, and under the sea. And God put it into words, too, and wrote it in a book called the Bible. Now, some people think the Bible is a book of rules telling what you should and should not do. 
The Bible certainly does have some rules in it. They show you how life works best. But the Bible isn't mainly about you and what you should be doing. It's about God and what he has done. No, the Bible isn't a book of rules. The Bible is most of all a story. It's an adventure story about a young hero who comes from a faraway country to win back his lost treasure. It's a love story about a brave prince who leaves his palace, his throne, everything to rescue the one he loves. There are a lot of stories in the Bible, but all the stories are telling one big story. And that's the story of how God loves his children and comes to rescue them. So we don't sit in a corner and just kind of conjure up this love for God. We hear of his love for us in the word as we read it, as it's preached, as it's taught. And that is what develops our love for God. Um, So we need to hear the word. We need to love the Lord. And then the last thing I want to hit is that these words shall be on your heart and you shall teach them diligently to your children. And, you know, it says you shall teach them diligently. It's our responsibility to teach our children. You know, the church is here to support us, but we really are the front lines. We don't have to be experts. We just have to be there. And we can, you know, there's plenty of places you can go and find the answers. But we really are the primary teachers. You know, think back to that clip with the father and the son. Um, Think of the power of that last scene. You know, that if that father, instead of picking up a pack of cigarettes had picked up a Bible, what that would have taught that little boy. There's real power in your position as mother or father in your family. Um, It also says you shall teach them diligently. And that's an adverb that really goes with hard and careful work. It's not lackadaisical. It's not haphazard. You shall teach them diligently. Um, We are to teach them well um, with intention and forethought. Um, And then it says you shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise. And again, think of that clip of the father and the son. You know, the son is there watching him throughout the day as the father is painting the house or washing the car or... Um, driving in the car, you know, um, walking down the road, um, sitting under the tree, resting. The, the, the child is always watching. It's an ongoing conversation where we kind of leapfrog from um, what's going on to, to weaving into God, weaving in God into the conversation. Um, I'm going to close with a real quick story. Um, we have friends who have grown children and grandchildren um, in Mississippi. And the grandchildren are two boys, probably seven and six, and then a baby girl. And our friends were babysitting their grandchildren last November. And it was the night of the Ole Miss-Auburn gang. Um, And these children are avid Ole Miss fans. And their parents were away because they were at the gang. They're, they're, They're even more avid fans. 
And if you remember the heartbreak of that game for Ole Miss fans, you know, Ole Miss has the ball. Their wide receiver, you know, is, is, is running for the, for the goal line. It looks like victory's there. He gets hit. The ball's fumbled. And um, he gets seriously injured. And my friends are watching this with their seven-year-old grandson. And he's watching this beloved player, watching this tragedy happen. He burst into tears, ran from the room, threw himself on his parents' bed, and was just sobbing inconsolably. And when my friend was telling me the story, I thought, you know, where did this seven-year-old kid get this passion for Ole Miss football? And where do you think they, this little seven-year-old, I'll ask you all that question, where do you think this seven-year-old little boy got this passion for Ole Miss football? Parents. His parents, yeah, yeah. He learned sitting with his parents how to be a fan of Ole Miss. And if you think about it, you know, what's in our culture? You know, if it's a big football game, you know, there's all this conversation in advance. And you're reading the pregame commentary. And the day of the game comes, and you sit down, and you watch all the pregame show. And you bring in popcorn or, you know, guacamole, whatever it is that you eat. You all are sitting there gathered around. You watch the game. You replay the really cool, you know, plays that you want to see again and really take in. Um, and then the game's over. And then you watch the post-game coverage and that commentary. And it is something we pull our whole hearts into. Can you imagine if we did that with Scripture? if we did that with God's word with our kids and really just it was just part of us as a family that conversation that passion it's really something to think about and you know as we prepared for this class we kind of sent out to about 40 people and asked them to respond to this question how can a parent be most helpful and intentional about their child's spiritual development in the years of junior high and high school. And I will tell you the number one answer that we got from all sorts of different people is the best thing a parent can do is to work on their own faith. And that's something we have certainly um, acknowledged. But that is a powerful truth. You don't have to be an expert. You can basically be on the same page as them, you know, just, just learning and studying. But it is a, um, we are an enormous influence on our children's lives. I'm going to turn it over to Don, who's going to kind of pick up on that point. Okay, can you hand these out? Sure. I'm just going to uh, kind of engage in a discussion with you guys about some of the the answers we got. While she's passing this out, I know it's distractive. Y'all listen to me. Don't watch her pass out. Uh, um, we, we sent this to uh, just a bunch of people. So there are uh, young adults who uh, answer these questions that uh, have no children. There are some that aren't married yet. We sent it out to a number of former Advent youth ministers. Uh, sent it to everybody on the clergy. 
uh, our staff here, um, Gil uh, included. Uh, we sent it out to people who are in uh, education, um, uh, who watch children professionally every day and, and come alongside and understand how to teach children. Um, so it's, it's a really broad range. Um, we sent out some grandparents and some folks that don't have teenagers yet as well. So very broad range, and it was really remarkable. Uh, and I don't have all the answers down this one page for you, but the, the number one thread, and it you know, was in the question. The question said, how do you be intentional? But the number one thread was... Um, work on your own faith, essentially, uh, in so many words. Uh, you think back about that, that goofy-looking little commercial. How many words were spoken in that commercial by the father? Zero. Think about the Ole Miss uh, uh, football example. Do you think when you teach a kid to become an Alabama fan or Auburn fan, you say, okay, here's how you become an Auburn fan. Here are the things you must do. Okay. Very little intentionally spoken about it. It's just modeled. It's behavior modeled. A long time ago, somebody told me that more is caught than is taught. More is caught than is taught, particularly about children. They're always watching. And children have this highly um, uh, developed sense that's almost innate uh, to, uh, to uh, understand and uh, pick up on hypocrisy. Dad, you said this, but you do this kind of thing. Uh, and they're, they're keen to bring that up. Uh, if I heard that once, I heard it a lot of times at the dinner table. Uh, it's a humbling experience. So uh, the, the first major group was work uh, of, of answers were uh, to be intentional and work on your own faith. The second one was that was right in, in, involved in that was this notion of integrating your faith into your daily life. It's a recognition that life is busy uh, and the things that are important to you will come up in all sorts of daily activities. So if your faith is important to you, uh, it's really not work to talk about things of faith. You see it all around you and the circumstances all around you, and so it comes up in common conversation and, and with activities kind of thing. So um, it was about being uh, intentional. Uh, I, I do have one. C and D is a, a duplicate clerical error, um, uh, probably um, because it was, uh, this is in the back of my mind, it was uh, written by the person that has the, a terminal degree uh, in uh, uh, matters of theology that we ask. So it must, it must have come to me that it was really important. In the midst of frenetic activity, prayerfully demonstrate the importance of word and sacrament in church and at home. This is a, a fellow who has four young children. So he understands that it's frenetic. Um, so will somebody read F? Somebody mind just reading F? Sure, sure. Thanks. Demonstrate the importance of Jesus in their own life by seeking their deepest satisfaction in him. This can be done by making church attendance a priority. The parents themselves reading scripture regularly. Help make encourage small group Bible study as a priority for the child. Prepare the child that they will screw up in high school and that the gospel means that Jesus will be there to forgive, support, and restore them. It's very interesting. So he, this particular person started with the, uh, uh, the importance and integration of being intentional in all things of uh, 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 matters of faith, but then moves very quickly to the idea of grace, the importance of parents to demonstrate grace. And I think that was another thing. And what I, what I found was I found this answer more um, uh, prevalent 
in uh, uh, people who were in their 30s and early 40s who did not have children yet who had reached that age of high school um, uh, where grace needed to be demonstrated. So what they were speaking from was from their own lives. They were thinking back and hearkening back as there was more of their answers uh, to their own high school and college experience and the need for grace. Uh, in their own lives, and they were projecting that forward as they were thinking about their children. But a very, uh, uh, I think, a very important because that, that's, you know, th- this has come up several times here. When you uh, uh, somebody read uh, uh, I on that page, similar kind of a sentiment. I happen to remember that one written by um, uh, somebody who doesn't have uh, teenage children yet. I think they've just got, you know, like grade school children or pre-grade school children. So they haven't experienced that yet uh, in their own lives, but um, uh, with their children would probably have in their, their lives growing up. So let me stop there in t- for a second to just get some discussion. The, the notion of being intentional and having that intentionality integrated in your lives. Is that easy? Is that difficult? Where do you find it most difficult? Uh, where do you find it uh, in your own lives where maybe that uh, you've had some success that might be shared with others? Being intentional and having it integrated in your daily uh, life with, with your children. Yeah. I think that's yeah, that's a great point uh, for the recording. The point of of the Advent has uh, uh, Bible studies available for um, youth, for teenagers, and the like at a coffee shop. Um, that that's something that didn't come out as much um, in these answers, but just from our own personal lives, we happen to live in a community that has many many offerings, and they come from many different avenues. Uh, and so taking advantage of that uh, when your child is interested in you know, going to a youth group from another church or, uh, uh, you know, uh, some of these parachurch ministries. Young Life has ski trips and, you know, uh, is First Priority still active at the school? First Priority and uh, a Fellowship of Christian Athletes. There's all sorts of things that we happen to live in a community where there are lots of options. And so we never really turned up our nose to anything uh, that uh, we maybe weren't quite as excited about as long as we felt that the uh, scripture was sound and it was a safe place for our kids to be. Uh, and it, it's just, a, you know, I, uh, I don't want to be careful about saying this. There is a portion of this that I think you can outsource. Just be smart about where you do it. The Advent has uh, lots of opportunities, and there are just so many in our community. Uh, so if they're excited, the other thing was we, we made a decision to we would fund anything that had a faith component to it, you know, and money uh, talks with kids. So if they wanted to go on a ski trip, we'd, there was a Christian ski trip, we'd figure out a way to do that, you know. Yeah. And one more thing I was thinking, looking at this, is what I'm going to try to do is 
do with my sixth grader, which I did not do with my ninth grader, <laughs> um, and I'm going to try to do it with my ninth grader, is pray together. Like, there's no reason why, and I'm just think I'm just kind of beating myself up right now. Is, I mean, every night, I mean, I'm always like, good night, love you, but then I get slapped on the, let's just pray together, and kind of, I mean, so that's my, I'll let y'all yeah. talk. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to start praying yeah. with the sixth grader every night, and just get that habit of, Yeah. And I'll piggyback on that. Because they're going through confirmation, it's kind of, this is probably the easiest time to start something like that. Because you, you've, you've kind of already got the conversations going. And one of their homework assignments is to actually pray, write out prayers using, you know, kind of the Acts method, um, which is just a way of structuring prayer. So that's, that's something you can use that to start making that happen. It can be awkward to say, okay, now we're going to start praying together, but this is, is a little bit of a, of a path paid for you. So seize the opportunity. And the other thing is y'all are already in the habit of coming to church every Sunday. And this is a good time to continue that pattern. Yeah, and I'll make a, uh, uh, a point of personal privilege since I have the podium. Um, we did this years ago. I can't remember how long ago. I think we taught seventh grade. Jane and I and Victor and Mary Hanson taught seventh grade for like seven years in a row, eight years in a row, nine years in a row, whatever. And the reason we chose the seventh grade was because sixth grade was confirmation. And what you had in the sixth grade was 80 kids coming every Sunday. And when you started after rally day in the seventh grade, rally day doesn't count, after rally day, you know what the average attendance was in seventh grade? Yeah, 20 if you're lucky. 20 if you're lucky. And I just had this heart for these kids cannot drive. They were here last year, and they cannot drive. And so I wanted to send letters out to say to parents, look, they can't drive. Uh, this is real important. I'm willing to wake up early on Sunday and come to your house and pick them up. Never happened because Jane said you can't do that. <laughs> you know, I had a plan B that I never did. I wanted to get all the parents in and read the baptismal vows and say, what was it about this that you said about your children that you didn't believe? You know, obviously I wouldn't do that. I'm just talking. <laughs> but the reality is it's true. They can't drive, and they are here in the Advent largely in large numbers, and it tapers off. I suspect it still does. That probably hadn't changed much, you know. So that's the point. It's not to guilt somebody in anything, but let me, here's the deal. And there may not be anybody in this room that needs to hear this. But, and, not and, but, and, and, we're talking about the most important thing ever. The question that has to be answered by every man and woman who ever drew breath is, what are you going to do with this? Scripture. 40 authors, written over 1,500 years. And it's either the Word of God, His revelation to us of who He is, and how we play into that, and what happens to us when we die. Where do we come from? What are we supposed to do with our lives? What happens to us when we die? Answers those three big questions. Okay, It's either that, or it's just a made-up book. It's man's attempt to explain God, which would be interesting. Wouldn't be life-changing. I wouldn't bet my life on it anymore than I bet my life on Shakespeare or anybody else. But if it is the revelation of God to man that answers those three big questions and all the questions of life, then God, guess what? Get busy. It's the most important thing. And then if you really love your kids, isn't it the most important thing for them? They can't drive. They can't drive. Now, it's not sure you will never, your kids won't come to salvation 
by you or through you, uh, but uh, they can be guided in that particular direction because they're going to have to make the decisions for themselves. And that's one last uh, question I wanted to cover this J on the next page because I think it's really important, a little, little bit of grace for us as parents. Um, somebody read J for me. Okay, thanks. Let them see that you do not have all answers and show them how to turn Scripture and how to turn the Lord in prayer for wisdom. One day you will not be able to answer all of their questions. They have to learn to think for themselves, and we have to teach them how. Where will they turn for truth? How will they evaluate what friends, culture, professors offer up to them as truth? See, this is what we're doing. We're packing their suitcases here. We're giving them, hopefully, the tools that they need to make wise decisions about all things in life and certainly including about their own faith and, and their own uh, faith journey. The, the most incredible thing that we've got going on here at the Advent, I think, is that we have a grace-based um, youth ministry. It's not about activity. It's not about morality, okay, because that doesn't work. There's no power in that, okay, but there's power in the gospel of grace, and that's what Cameron and his team uh, model and teach and discuss here so that uh, when these kids move on and they're 18 years old and they're trying to now figure out how does all this play out with college and careers and marriage and those kinds of things, uh, their suitcase has been packed as best as it can be from a church institutional perspective. And I think there's lots of grace for us as parents to know that we don't have to have all the answers. We absolutely don't have to have all the answers. Jane's story about uh, 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 the, son, you know, the, the question about why did, God, why did Jesus go to hell, you know, I've watched. We don't believe all that we think and remember anymore. We're starting to learn. Don't, don't, you know, don't trust everything you remember. It didn't really happen that way. Don't but, believe everything you think. Yeah, but that happened that way. That happened exactly that way. Uh, uh, and so you don't have to have all the answers. You just, you know, just hang in there with them and, um, uh, and know where to go to get them. There's so many more places to go to get them today than there used to be. So, so what do you think about that? Uh, anybody feel a little? Um, with a seventh grader, who, you know, six seventh graders can ask the difficult question. Anybody feel a little, uh, ever feel a little uh, at odds about starting a conversation uh, about the Bible or about Bible passages of the story, or feel like you may be a little hypocritical if you say X but you do Y? Concerns with that? Just stand up and give your testimony right now. <laughs> it's a great question, right? It's an inviting. Sure. I guess my biggest problem is just finding the right opportunity. You know, try here and there, and, but don't try enough or admit that. But when we do, it's, come on, Dad, not right now. Right, you know, right. It doesn't matter where, you know, right. no matter what it is. It's just, you know, it's in actually getting the conversation to go past, yeah. what do you think about this? Right. And then it's like, really? You know? Let's save it for Sunday. Yeah, you know? yeah. That's and, <laughs> yeah. Keeping it moving forward without being... Well, we're having this conversation, and you're going to like it. Right, because that's really effective, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Susan. We, we found a good place to have conversations is in the car, because, number one, they can't drive, and number two, they're locked in. Yeah. And so um, we've had some really, had some really good conversations in the car. Yeah. And like Emily said, bedtime is a, a good time yeah. to, I don't know, there's something about it. And I was always trying to, I just wanted it done as a parent. And I wish I had, I wish I had slowed down more and been a little bit more available at that time. 
because I think that's a crime your children. I don't know, there's something about it. Um, I think they're, they feel more free to talk um, at that time. So. Hammond? Yes, Oh. Echo that because if we've got one that at that time he just he doesn't have anything to say all day until maybe he's trying to escape going to bed. Right. Or <laughs> yeah. But then the other thing I was going to say is uh, what we have found or what I've noticed is if we're doing an activity and the conversation that you want to have is you're throwing the baseball but you're having a conversation you want to have is a whole lot easier for me yep. and for him I think than if I'm just trying to say hey I want to pass something along to you. Yeah. And, and here's, the, here's the thing that really makes it easy, and I think you all know this. Anything that you're passionate about yourself, you start to see it everywhere. Think about the last automobile that you bought, a new automobile, color and make. Before you bought it, you didn't see it very often. The day after you bought it, everybody on the road has that car, seems like, right? Where in the world I come? Your eyes just changed. Nothing about the reality changed. And so the, the, the thing that's so um, uh, gratifying is that if the scripture speaks to who God is and who we are, that's a pretty broad palette to bring into any conversation, whether it's baseball, whether it's politics, whether it's TV shows, whether it's commercials, whatever. Your eyes just open up and you see it everywhere. You see the gospel everywhere. You see man's brokenness and his attempt to get better. And you see God's, gra God's uh, grace and mercy in his attempt to reach down and rescue us. They're everywhere. Tim Keller says that every good book points to the great book. They are. Here, look, here's a chick flicks. i got to do one quick thing, chick flicks. Chick flicks. We had three boys and then a little girl. Uh, and so we didn't watch very many chick flicks for about 20 years in our house. And when that last boy went to college, we had two years left. I thought about this. Two years left, and it was going to be, I was going to be outnumbered for the first time gender-wise in my household. Two women and one man. And I thought that the, the sheer trajectory and, 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 and momentum of 20-some-odd years of being a guy house was going to carry me forward. Within one week, I was eating food I'd never wanted to eat before, talking about things, and watching chick flicks. Okay? And it was the first time I looked at chick flicks, and I said, there it is. Here's the way every chick flick works. It's, it's the story, it's the story of, of, of your first love. Two people, they should be together. Everybody knows they should be together at the beginning of the movie. Sometimes one of them knows they should be together and the other one doesn't. Sometimes it flip-flops in the movie. But they spend the entire movie trying to get back to what that first love is. And at the end, if it's a good chick flick, they get together and everybody goes, I said, why is that? Why do I? That speaks to me. I hate chick flicks. Why does that speak to me? Because it's about our first love. We were created with a desire to love and be in relationship with the Lord. Whether we know it or recognize it or not, it's in us. And so our entire life is a chick flick. It's getting back to our first love. You know, so when, 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 when the gospel of grace invades us, and, and it can't help but in this church with, you know, over and over again the way it's preached and taught and, and supported. Uh, then it opens up the possibility that everything that you do in your frenetic pace with your kids has some kind of applicability because it speaks to who God is and to who we are, what the problem is, and what God's done to make it right. It makes it a little bit easier when you have a, a broad 50,000-foot view as opposed to trying to talk about the doctrine of justification or something. Yeah. Thoughts? Gil, anything to weigh in on with all these years of... Uh, Watching young people, and now you have two. Okay. Emmett. Yeah, one thing I was going to say, and fortunately at the present time, I have a, a very good relationship.
relationship with, with my daughter, and we can talk about just about any subject matter, even very controversial content, <laughs> which makes it very uncomfortable for me sometimes, but I try not to show that. Um, but one of the things uh, that, that I've tried to do is, is ask a lot of questions and steer and let her arrive, try and steer her to the right conclusion versus mandate it through a statement. And um, for the most part, that's worked really well. You know, just say, well, what do you think about that? Well, why do you think that? Well, what does the Bible say about that? If, if you're not sure, let's go look and see. And so it doesn't come from me. Right. It either comes from the Bible or she arrives at that conclusion herself. So, you know, especially I think with some of those things that they could be rebellious on, if you, you know, and this is my opinion, okay, mandate it through a statement, then sometimes they're like, well, I'm going to do the opposite of that because that's what they want, versus it being their own conclusion or what the Bible says. So I, I, in other words, I try to remove myself. Right, right, right. Sometimes. Wise parenting, yeah. Well, yeah, it's worked well to this point, although he's not in seventh grade. (laughs) Yeah, that's right. Thoughts, issues, questions, comments, observations about coming alongside your children. Because, hey, guys, everybody's got a sixth grader in here, roughly sixth, seventh grader, right? So for that particular child, it's five years, Right. And they're on to the next thing. And that's a nanosecond. That's a hair's breadth. And, and the reality, there's a part of that that it's not five years. It's when they get their driver's license that a lot happens, you know, in terms of there's, there's a big step and they, they're moving outside the house a bit. So uh, it's, it's a very, very short time, very short time. But the encouragement is um, it's, not, it's, uh, it's not all dependent upon you. As a matter of fact, it actually isn't anything dependent upon you. Uh, so pray by the grace of God. Uh, uh, look for an opportunity for you to work on your own faith because then your life has changed and they see that your life has changed. Uh, but the rest is just exhortation and, and demands and they may all be right, uh, but like you said, on teenagers, it's usually not a really effective strategy. You know, it's not a long, long-term strategy. Anything else? Questions, comments, observations? What can we specifically pray about? Not names of kids, but what circumstances might we specifically pray about as it relates to this topic of your uh, your kids' uh, spiritual development in the next three to seven years. The overall writing message of the day, I guess. Okay. Let's continue to work on our faith to be the leaders for that. Okay. Grow in that. We will do that. And that they would have Jesus as their Savior. That's a great prayer. You'd see Jesus, yep. And I'm, I'm constantly praying uh, that the Holy Spirit uh, intervene in their, their lives and provide guidance uh, for them. Um, and, uh, you know, that, that literally is something I do daily. Hmm. Somebody taught us a long time ago, we pray that when they get in trouble, they'll be caught the first time. It's a good, effective prayer. First time, get them caught, Lord. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's not the children's favorite player. Right. Because <laughs> they're going to make mistakes. Anything else? All right. Well, why don't I pray for us in that vein? Gracious and Heavenly Father, um, we love you. 
and uh, we are grateful that you have not let us left us here to figure this out on our own, devise our own uh, methodologies and ways to try to restore uh, ourselves to you, but that you've made provision for us, Lord. Uh, thank you for that, Lord God. Before we even knew that we needed a Savior, uh, you provided, so we're grateful. Father, we lift up the children that are represented in this room uh, today and all of those who are going through confirmation uh, this year. We pray, Lord God, that you would, uh, your Holy Spirit would be working in their hearts and their lives even now, uh, that they would be uh, asking questions, that they would be listening carefully, that they would be thinking about the important things of life, matters of faith, and what it means to them, who you are, who they are, um, what their need is, and how you provide for that need. Lord, I pray for each child who's represented in this room that that would be going on even now in their lives. And then, Lord God, we do pray for um, uh, things ahead. Uh, we pray, Father, that uh, uh, as they go through their junior high and high school years, that you would guard and protect them physically, emotionally, uh, and spiritually. And Father, we know that, uh, that we live in this world, even though we're not of this world, and that there will be difficult times, difficult times for them, difficult times for us. We pray that your grace would abound in those times, that you would give us as parents the ability to love and to forgive, and that you would give them as children the ability to learn and to grow and to repent. Um, Father, I do pray for um, these children that uh, they would come to know Jesus as Savior, uh, that their faith would be put in Jesus uh, and in nothing else, Lord God, and that through uh, good discussions and appropriate timing that your Holy Spirit would guide uh, the teaching and the modeling and the leading that we as parents have been entrusted to. Father, I do pray specifically today for the fathers, um, that uh, the importance that you have given us as uh, uh, in the lives of these children, uh, Lord, they cannot see their heavenly father, but they do see their earthly father. Such a um, responsibility, Lord. Um, help us. And, uh, uh, give us, creating us hearts that desire to please you, to serve others, and to love them. Always to love them, Lord God. And then, Father, thank you for the mistakes that we'll make and for the opportunity that you give us through your Son, for our forgiveness of our own sinfulness, and that those moments can be redeemed as well. Thank you for these good people, Lord God. I pray that if there is someone here today that uh, has never committed their lives to you, that they might uh, take that step of faith, and in so doing, uh, uh, be in a position to now walk through uh, that process with their sixth grader. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.